Hi, I'm Billy Shore. Welcome back to Add Passion and Stir. We're happy to bring you some bonus content as part of our series on the child tax credit. In the series' first episode, we heard from leaders in Congress about how the credit is part of a cross-government effort to end childhood hunger and poverty. And of course, it would be hard to tell the story without talking to Congressman Jim McGovern from Massachusetts. He's made it his mission to end childhood hunger. Jim McGovern was elected in 1997, the year the child tax credit was created. So he's seen all the variations of the credit from inside Congress. We're pleased to share with you our full conversation with Jim McGovern, because we're sure you'll find it as inspiring as we did. But, you know, Jim, I was thinking you were elected in 1997, which I think was the same year that uh, a much smaller child tax credit uh, came into uh, existence. It was $400 at the time uh, compared to the potential for $3,600. Um, one of the things we've been talking about a lot at Share Our Strength is that it takes more than food to fight hunger. Uh, and as much as we do to get food and emergency food assistance and school meals to people, uh, at the end of the day, if we're really going to end hunger, it's going to take more than food. And I think of the child tax credit as uh, one of the elements of that. Can you just talk a little bit about the evolution that you've seen and fought for in the growth of this child tax credit, which is now becoming reality in a big way? And of course, we've got work to do to extend it and make it more accessible. But uh, share a little bit about just what you, you've seen in your time. Well, you're right. I mean, back when President Clinton was president, um, we had a, a more modest uh, child tax credit we advanced. Uh, but um, the, what we're dealing with now in the American Rescue Plan uh, expanded the child tax credit, as you mentioned, up to $3,600 per child for children ages 0 to 5 and $3,000 per child for children ages to 6 to 17. Uh, but, you know, as somebody who, like you, uh, is very much focused on how do we end childhood hunger, how do we end hunger in general in this country, uh, it is more than just about expanding one program like SNAP or expanding school meals. Uh, programs and initiatives like the child tax credit are essential because ultimately for families to be able to put nutritious food on the table, uh, they have to have the resources, the money to be able to do that. And the child tax credit is actual money in the pockets of struggling families. And we've seen from uh, some of the reporting that a lot of that money has gone to food. Uh, and we've seen a, a reduction in poverty because of some of the initiatives in the American Rescue Package. So all of that is is positive. But when we talk about ending hunger, it's not about one thing. We have to look at the issue holistically, and we need to connect the dots. It is things like the child tax credit, housing, um, uh, you know, healthcare, a whole bunch of things we need to talk about. And the, the child tax credit, uh, though, I think it's important to, for people to understand, would not only have this impact on hunger that you've described, but would really create funding available for families for healthcare needs, education needs, school supplies, uh, other things that they need to pay for. And it's really a way of, of giving families uh, the, 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 the power over their own uh, future in terms of deciding where these, where these dollars go. But I'm glad you talked about the impact that it could have on hunger, which as you and I know is, you know, kind of a symptom of a set of more complex issues around poverty. Uh, this child tax credit will lift millions of kids out of poverty. And I'm sure there are uh, some pretty compelling numbers uh, in Massachusetts as well. Right. I mean, you know, um, countless families in Massachusetts will benefit and, um, you know, and, and millions of families all across this country um, will benefit from this. They already they already are benefiting from it. And I'm hearing from uh, people when I'm out and about in my district uh, who are grateful to be able to get this additional funding. I mean, and it, and it gives families the ability to make choices. 
Um, you know, we talk about ending hunger. It's oftentimes it's like, you know, here's a box of food, you know, that, that's, and that's helpful in some uh, circumstances, but this gives families the ability to make choices, uh, to be able to um, decide what in fact they, they want to put on their kitchen table. You know, these are monthly payments. Uh, and, uh, and again, they have already had a major impact here in the Commonwealth, but also all across the country. In terms of what you were just saying about families having choices, you know, if you're a, a conservative, this is a way of saying uh, this gets the government out of making decisions that families should make. Uh, it's government resources, of course, but I, I, I see it as something that really respects the, the uh, you know, the, the option that the family has to make their own choices, not having government make it for them. Well, I agree with you. Look, um, you know, I mean, when we talk about anti-poverty programs, we talk about anti-hunger programs, we need to focus on dignity. Uh, and respect. I always tell people that the food that that, that we should want to make sure that uh, struggling families have is the same food that you or I uh, would want, uh, you know, for our for our families at home. And um, you know, you mentioned conservatives. I don't even know what a, if there are any conservatives left uh, in Washington. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I it, because it seems to me, as you point out, that what we're adv- what we're advocating for here um, is not only humane. But it is, in many respects, a conservative uh, value of giving people the choice to decide how they want to spend uh, the resources that they get. And yet, um, there has been some reluctance by some in Washington, uh, you know, to this to this initiative. And we're now trying to make it permanent. I mean, that's the the next the next step here. But I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand the resistance. You know, there, there's a there's a, um, a a narrative that is out there that uh, doesn't reflect reality. And um, and that is that somehow the people we're talking about, you know, aren't working or they, you know, that they, they, they just want to sit home. That's just not the case. I mean, the majority of people who are able to work who are on SNAP, for example, I mean, they do work. Um, and the family, many of the families who are benefiting from the child tax credit actually work. You can work full time in this country and still be stuck in poverty. Uh, and so when we talk about looking at the whole picture, you know, this is one of the ways uh, to help, uh, you know, give people a little bit of boost uh, so that they can be the kinds of parents that we all want to be for our kids. I, I think one of the things that you just said, Congressman, about working full time and still being stuck in poverty, when people do the math on that, I think they're shocked. And sometimes they have to do the math to see you know, what it would be if you worked full time at minimum wage uh, and still found yourself you know, at or below the poverty line. People just don't realize that, uh, that you know, minimum wage doesn't as it's currently constructed, doesn't go far enough to help a family thrive. And uh, as I say, you, you have to stop and do the math, but uh, it's shocking to people that you can still find yourself working full time and being in poverty. I, I'm, I'm talking to you from Maine right now, and uh, most of the folks I know here have uh, at least two and sometimes three jobs to, to make it all work. And and, and the other thing is that, um, we, first of all, we need to get away from talking about minimum wage. We ought to be talking about livable wages. I mean, that's that's what that's what our goal should be. And even in terms of our benefit programs, I mean, I mean, let's put the child tax credit aside for a moment, but for SNAP, it, we, we have this national kind of one glove fits all approach. Well, a, a livable, a, a, you know, a, a livable, you know, a, you know, what constitutes a livable wage in Mitchell, South Dakota, for example, um, is different than what constitutes a livable wage in Boston or in San Francisco, for example. And so we, we need to understand that, um, you know, uh, that we, we have to account for that 
in terms of in, in, when we're determining whether or not people are struggling or whether people have enough to put food on the table when they work. But look, we need we 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 need. I mean, we just celebrated Labor Day, and and yet um, uh, there are, there are so many in this country um, who are working and who. Uh, working multiple jobs and still can't make ends meet. Most of us have been grounded during the pandemic and you probably have too, but I know you've also, your job has required you to to travel some. And I know that you were recently in Oakland with Aisha Curry and uh, their Eat, Learn and Play Foundation. They've been great partners in the in the fight against hunger. Uh, when you go out and see the way uh, people are, are living into some de- degree struggling, what, what does it look like around the country? It, it defies stereotype, right? I mean, uh, you know, I, the people that we're talking about uh, are not just people who are jobless, but there are people who are working um, and people who are working harder than ever before, just trying to put food to the table. I mean, you mentioned the Eat, Learn and Pray program that Ayesha Curry is doing. And I know Shara Strength has been a big supporter of that. I mean, it's incredible. Thank God that it's there. Uh, but um, And there are lots of other programs all across the country that I've seen that are doing incredible work, helping our kids and helping families kind of be able to have the wherewithal to put a nutritious meal on, on the table. But I mean, um, but there are a lot of people out there who are struggling. You know, I was in San Francisco uh, recently and I was in the Tenderloin district and we were having a discussion with some people in the neighborhood and, um, you know, talking about the the challenges of putting nutritious food on the table. And and I was, you know, saying, well, we, we need to have better, you know, uh, programs linking our local farmers to our, you know, our food relief programs and get you more fresh produce. And somebody raised their hand and said to me, well, I, I live in a place that doesn't have a kitchen um, and I have uh, no refrigeration. So giving me a box of fresh vegetables, you know, can't, won't last me the week because they'll go bad uh, if I don't, if I can't put them in a refrigerator. So I, I need, I need, we need infrastructure as well as, as food in order for me to have a more nutritious diet. And so life is complicated, right? And the situation for a lot of people who are food insecure and hungry is complicated. And um, and we need to understand that fact. And we need to make sure that in Congress that we're providing the support to address the complexities of the situation. Again, there's this tendency in Washington, you know, that one glove fits all. And one of the reasons why I'm traveling around the country and trying to do on-site visits and having a lot of discussions with people with the hope of getting a White House conference on food, nutrition, health, and hunger uh, sometime next year is because, you know, I, you know, my life experience is not the same um, as somebody living in the Tenderloin area of San Francisco, you know, or living in a rural area um, in Arizona or in a tribal community, you know, that's a food desert or, you know, even in Massachusetts. I mean, there are areas of my district where, where people have a tough time getting access to food um, and uh, they have no transportation. So, we have to understand that if we're going to solve this problem, um, it's not just like one idea. It's 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 a lot of different things that need to be put on the table and discussed, and we need to connect all the dots. Well, I'm glad you mentioned this uh, potential White House conference on food, nutrition, hunger, health. Uh, I'm going to come back to that in one moment. I just want to ask you two more things about the child tax credit. Uh, one, and, and it's something that's really uh, stuck in my head was a conversation I had with Speaker Pelosi uh, a couple months ago when she said, you know, she said, the laws we pass uh, don't have the impact that they should unless organizations like yours make sure that everybody uh, who is eligible for the benefits actually gets them. And one of the things that, you know, we're working hard on now, and I just wanted to get your sense of uh, if, if we're on the right track and 
how important it is, is to really build out a field operation in states where uh, families, well, I guess one of our concerns about the child tax credit is many of the families who need it the most might be the the most, uh, the least likely to get it if they've not been tax filers and, and so forth, if they're not in the system. So what do organizations like ours need to be doing to ensure that, uh, you know, that everybody that is eligible for this tax credit gets it? Well, getting the word out that people are eligible, because um, that's an important point that you made in the Speaker Pelosi made is that, uh, you know, you know, and it's not just with regard to this program. And there are people who are eligible for SNAP, for example, who do not know that they're eligible. And we need to do a better job of education, but also, you know, doing direct outreach, whether it's door to door or whether it is, uh, you know, old fashioned grassroots organizing. I mean, that's what, what it takes uh, because there are a lot of families out there. I mean, I've, you know, in my own office, we've been we've been sending out, you know, uh, you know, lots and lots of mailings to people about, you know, how you qualify and and telling people that if you have any questions, call our office and we will work, you can work with one of our caseworkers and we'll make sure that, you know, you get all the information you need. But absolutely, I mean, these benefits are important, but uh, if you're eligible and you don't know it, um, you know, and you don't, um, you know, take the necessary steps to be able to qualify, then, you know, it's it's a nice idea, but that doesn't help, not helping you. So I think, um, you know, any kind of national campaigns, local campaigns uh, directed at providing people the information uh, and talking to people directly, um, I, I think is, is is worthwhile. And I appreciate all the work that you guys are doing. Well, that's good to hear. And we're going to try and, you know, match everything you just said with the, you know, the technical assistance, sitting down with people in community centers or wherever uh, we can meet them uh, to help walk them through what they need to do to, you know, get on the portal and, and enroll. Right. And that's important because, look, for a lot of people, when you talk about government, anything, it's overwhelming. Uh, I mean, and it's like intimidating sometimes. And and sometimes people don't know who to call or where to where to go to get information. Uh, and if you call the wrong place, you may be you know on hold forever. So I mean, it's like I mean, we want to make this as easy and as user friendly as possible for everybody. Congressman, I know what you and I want to happen with the child tax credit in terms of the legislative uh, prognosis. Uh, you're pretty savvy vote counter and uh, pretty savvy uh, you know, operative in Congress as chair of the House Rules Committee. What Give us your prognosis as to what's going to happen. Um, there's going to be an effort to make it permanent. Uh, there, if that doesn't work, there'll be an effort to extend it. What's your best guess on where we're going to end up? Well, I would like to make it permanent so we don't have to have this discussion, you know, every so often it's done. Uh, but we, we have, you know, we're going to do the best we can to get as much as we can. And as we speak, uh, all the committees um, that are uh, uh, that have any jurisdiction over this, what we call Build Back Better bill or, or reconciliation, which nobody knows what that means. But but the bottom line is we're trying to get this human infrastructure bill passed. Our, our meeting and are doing uh, their committee uh, markups to report to the budget committee to put one big bill together to get it to my committee, the rules committee, so we get it to the house floor. Look, um, we don't we don't have any room for error. I mean, we have small margin in the house. We have a 50-50 split in the Senate. Um, and uh, we need every Democrat uh, to vote with us on this. And, um, and, and again, this to me is about our values. Uh, and I, you know, I'll be honest with you, I get frustrated when I hear uh, fellow Democrats say, well, I don't like this, or I want to do this, or, you know, we want to make it smaller. Or this. I mean, this is people's lives. And yeah, the money we're talking about is significant, and we're going to try to offset as much of it as possible so it's paid for. But th the reason why this 
investment is so significant is because we have underinvested in people for decades. And so, uh, you know, rather than just talking about helping people who struggle, um, we are actually going to do something about it. Um, and, th- you know, that's what this Build Back Better bill is all about. So people who are listening, you know, from all around the country, please call your representative and call your senator and say, you know, don't screw around with this, right? I mean, you know, get the best deal you can get. But at the end of the day, we all got to support it because the the alternative to that is not extending the child tax credit or making it permanent. The, the alternative to that is not investing uh, in affordable child care. The alternative to that is not uh, expanding Medicare to include, um, you know, uh, dental and eye care for our senior citizens. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff, not to mention investments in combating the climate crisis and investments in our agricultural system as well. So, you know, at the end of the day, it, this may not be everything I want or you want or people who are listening want, or it may be a little bit more than some people think we should have. Whatever it is, at the end of the day, we all have to support this because the alternative is to do nothing. And that would be a real tragedy. And, and we may not get another chance. Uh, I, I know we're running out of time, Congressman. I just, uh, I'm just i so excited about your very powerful vision that you've had for a long time of a White House conference. Share with us uh, what that looks like and what your plan is to make it a reality. Look, as you mentioned um, uh, at the beginning of this uh, podcast, we, 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 we talk about ending hunger. It's not just one thing. It's not just one program. And that's the way we tend to talk about it in Congress because the the jurisdiction for all the issues that are relevant fall into multiple committees. And let's be honest, we don't all work well together. People have jurisdictional issues. I chair the Rules Committee. We have no jurisdictional uh, you know restraints. So we have decided to kind of take this issue on and kind of like the old Select Committee on Nutrition and Human Needs, and to do hearings and site visits and conversations with people um, all across the country about what works, what doesn't work, what are some of the -the out-of-the-box ideas that we should look at. And I've been talking to every cabinet official in the administration, telling them they all have a role in this. It's not just USDA, not just HHS. I talked to the Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg. I said, you have a role in this. I mean, we have people who live in food deserts who don't have access uh, to places to get good food. You know, we, we ought to explore ways that, trans- the, uh, you know, refrigerated trucks. I mean, all those things fall in your jurisdiction. You need to be on board. The Secretary of Energy, uh, Jennifer Granholm, the utility costs in Massachusetts in the winter are high. Utility costs in the, uh, in the West uh, during these heat waves are high. They impact food budgets. You need to have a role in this, not to mention the climate crisis. The head of the VA, we have uh, a hunger amongst our veterans. I can go on and on and on. But we need an all-hands-on-deck approach to this. We need to involve the private sector, the nonprofit sector, uh, people like you who have been out there, um, you know, uh, nonstop. Uh, we share our strength and, you know, championing some of these issues need to be at the table. Uh, we, we need to look at the issue of nutrition insecurity and how food is medicine. Our healthcare system needs to be part of this. So the only way to do that, in my opinion, is to get a White House conference where the president is on board and calling everybody together to get this thing done. The last time we did a White House conference similar to this was 52 years ago. Uh, and we were, that helped with WIC and uh, the modern day SNAP program and more emphasis on child nutrition. We need, we need to do much, much more. And, um, and we, I, I just, by, by, as an aside, we have 25 chairs of our committees in the House, all 25 chairs from the, sec- from the chair of the Agriculture Committee to the chair of the Intelligence Committee all signed a letter uh, that I organized to the president saying, do this, make this a priority. And if he does, 
then I think the conversations we will be have are, are going to be um, even more expansive and, and more and different from the way we've had them in the past. And we actually can uh, talk about ending hunger now. Well, and it, and it sounds like the, all of the people that you mentioned, uh, Secretary of Energy, Secretary of Transportation, others, they would all be at the table. They would be sharing ideas. They would be getting their marching orders, uh, hopefully from the president. And it, it feels like what uh, underlies all of this, Congressman, is something very aligned with our point of view at Share Strength, which is that uh, hunger is a solvable problem. You just said we could end hunger, uh, that we could actually solve this if all the right players came together. Uh, and you'd, you'd mentioned a moment earlier uh, that you think this could something that could happen next year in, in 2022? Yeah, I want it to happen next year uh, just because I think it's time is of the essence. We know we are dealing with the Congress that we have right now for another year and a half. I hope we can expand uh, like-minded uh, people who want to end, uh, deal with hunger beyond that. But I mean, let, 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 let's, let's have some urgency here. We, we, you know, we need the White House to agree to it soon and we need them to plan and to organize and to make sure that this is a conference that has deliverables. I'm not interested in a press conference. I've been to enough conferences and summits that are press conferences. I, I, I'm done with that. I, I, you know, I don't need, I don't need that anymore. I, I, but we need deliverables. We need to have a roadmap and you are absolutely right. Um, it, it, hunger is a solvable problem. It is a, it, we can end it. I always tell people hunger is a political condition because we have the food, we have the resources, we, we have the knowledge, we have the infrastructure, we have everything to end it except we haven't had the political will. For whatever reason, um, on a national level, I mean, this has not risen to the level uh, where, you know, it has become a, a, a national priority uh, of the of, of import to the to having the White House kind of just take a lead on this and make it and solve this. Um, Joe Biden has used the word hunger in many of his speeches. The vice president, Kamala Harris, has talked about it. Her husband, Doug Emhoff, has been very, very good on these issues, as well as the first lady. So, look, I know they, they're like-minded. Now's the time for action. I get it. Sometimes people in the White House are like, oh, my God, we, we're going to have to do something if we do a White House conference. Yes, you will have to do something, and we want you to do something. So get about the business of organizing and preparing for this, and let's do something uh, that will benefit not only people in this generation, but future generations to come. Well, when it does rise to a national level, as it will, I believe it's going to be because of you, Jim McGovern. So thanks for being such a force. Thanks for being such a moral leader. Thanks for championing the child tax credit, uh, all of the hunger programs, and now this uh, White House conference. Uh, I can't wait to see it happen. And it's going to be a real testament to your your persistence and your commitment to uh, the people that, that we all aim to serve. So thank you so much for talking with us. Well, thanks to you and all the people who share our strength. I, I, I love share our strength and I, I, we, I admire your values and your commitment. And so uh, I look forward to working with you in the weeks, months and years to come. Same here. Thanks, Congressman. Thanks for being on Add Passion and Stir. Thank you. You've been listening to Add Passion and Stir. And be sure to tune in next week. We'll have the second episode in our Child Tax Credit series, where we talk to leaders of two organizations that are working to make sure everyone eligible for the credit is actually getting it. Thanks to our team at Share Our Strength and the No Kid Hungry campaign. Add Passion and Stir is produced by District Productive and our leader there, Paul Woody Whittle, with support from my sister, Debbie Shore, Megan Cantrell, Kelly Griffin, and Joanna Weber. 